Hey friends, welcome back to the Anchor Podcast. Sharing some New Year's words of, uh, uh, well, you might call them words of admonition, uh, words of um, warning, words of advice, words of invitation, whatever you want to call it, these are words. How about that? Well, I found a piece I wrote a few years back, which captures where I've been, well, for years and years and years and where I am right now today as we begin the year 2022. The piece is called A Restless Spirit on a Lawnmower. And uh, this is the wrong season to share this, Minnesotans who are uh, braving uh, below zero temperatures and uh, staring out our windows at snow on our yards. But for what it's worth, let us take our minds to the springtime. The smell of fresh cut grass on a green yard. Or brown or yellow, if it's mine. Anyway, I was enjoying my first ride of the spring on the lawnmower a while back, breathing deeply of the spring air and pondering my restless spirit. Not a restlessness that comes from uncertainty or even inner discord. I was radiating with passion for Christ and kingdom energy. You see, I wake up every day with the greatest calling on the planet and an unflappable sense of purpose. My restless spirit derives from my hard-to-contain zeal for making disciples and that ever-present feeling that I'm feeling. Sure, I may successfully plant one or two seeds in a receptive heart, but, but these same hearts then often go on their way to become a garden-growing fruit of the dominant culture. How can a 35-minute sermon each week possibly compete with 24-7 immersion in the other cultural narratives all around us? I mean, most people want a little Jesus sprinkled on the top of their life but far fewer want to take the plunge into total surrender and the painful process of having one's entire worldview transformed by the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. Now, I'm not lamenting the slowness of progress in this life of faith or looking down my nose at anyone in my community for a lack of desire or intent. I'm just restless because I sometimes feel we, as a community, as a church in America, we don't even have the same goal or expectation. And I wonder if when we grow old and gray, having spent years attending church services, hearing sermons, participating in small group Bible studies and so on, will we be able to look back and say, it was all about immersing ourselves in the teachings of Jesus and learning to imitate his kingdom way of life. That's what it was always about. My recent descent into disillusionment came uh, when a friend jokingly suggested that I'm a radical Christian. Having lunch, these words uh, hit me hard. The deep discouragement and loneliness that flowed out of that passing comment has to do with one simple but profoundly important conviction, and that's this. My so-called radicalness 
comes from trying to take seriously the most basic elementary teachings of Jesus. What is it like for a pastor to hear that I'm being radical by following the most basic baseline teachings of Jesus? Some silly examples may give an idea of my brooding discontent and weariness. You see, a pastor being told that he's radical for teaching the basic ethics of Jesus and inviting others to do the same, is it's kind of like a scuba diver instructor being told he's radical for expecting his students to get wet. Or it's like a baseball coach being told he's extreme because he expects his players to be out in the sun for three hours at a time. Or a pastor being told he's radical for teaching the basic ethics of Jesus is kind of like a concert pianist complaining to the conductor because he's asking him to play something in a minor key when the pianist prefers a major key. <laughs> now, compared to the average non-Christian American lifestyle and outlook, the way of Jesus is certainly radical or a bit extreme. Sadly, comparing the ethics and values of Jesus, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, to the average church-attending Christian in America also reveals a striking distance. Jesus seems radical, and his kingdom seems either naively idealistic or hopelessly unattainable. Faced with this reality, a person must either, one, pursue Christ obediently and strive to be faithful to his radical ethics and upside-down values, no matter how impractical or unattainable, or two, one must just settle for a Christianity that has its aim at something other than becoming serious, committed apprentices of Jesus. So back on that lawnmower, I was listening to Scott McKnight's new book on the Holy Spirit called Open to the Spirit. His company was refreshing my soul as he shared that his past 35 years of teaching and scholarship it's centered around the person of Jesus of Nazareth. McKnight made two important assertions about Jesus and the life of a disciple. First, he says the Holy Spirit's main role when he comes, according to Jesus in John 14, 26, is to, quote, teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. That's right, the Holy Spirit is active in your life when he's leading you to Jesus and his way. Second, McKnight says, similarly, the Bible's main role is to point people to Jesus as well. Eugene Peterson paraphrases Jesus' words to the religious folks of his day, who were constantly going through small group Bible studies, but somehow not encountering Jesus himself there. So we read in John 5, 39, in the message paraphrase, quote, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am. I'm standing right before you. And you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. Unquote. 
And so, friends, Christianity 101 is all about encountering the living Jesus in our Bible reading and through the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit. But where is Jesus in our affections? Where does his voice rank among the other voices influence our day-to-day living and thinking? I'm restless in my spirit because I'm firmly firmly believe that Jesus we follow and serve today is the exact same Jesus we read about in the Gospels. And more alarmingly, I believe Jesus expects the same level of commitment of his followers today as he expected of those we see interacting with him in the Gospels, those dropping their nets to follow, those letting their lives be flipped upside down by the kingdom announcement. I'm restless in my spirit because I expect every single person in my small church to heed his summons, to rearrange their lives around him, to give up whatever might be hindering such wholehearted obedience and devotion. I'm restless in spirit because as I pray for each member of my church, I I sometimes envision them taking their own turn, standing before the judgment seat of Christ when their number is called. Oh, they'll likely all be saved and get in. But that's not the judgment that Paul wrote so urgently about to his churches in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 16. Paul warned there that we're we're each building our lives upon a particular foundation and with particular materials. Each of our lives will go under an inspection and be tested through a kind of purifying fire. And all the things of eternal value we did for the sake of the kingdom will be preserved. We'll pass the test. The rest of our relatively trivial undertakings will be burned up like wood, hay, or straw. I'm restless in spirit because I think about each of the people under my spiritual care, and I wonder if any of them will hear Jesus say things like, and I quote, Why did you call me Lord, Lord, but not do the things I asked? Luke 6, 46. I called you to be doers of the word and not hearers only, but you continually deceived yourselves. James 1, 22. I chose and appointed you to bear fruit, so let's see it. John 15, 16. I told you not to store up treasures on earth, but in heavenly investments. So let's see your heavenly bank account. See Matthew 6, 20. Friends, truth be told, one can sit in a church pew for 80 years and somehow never consider that the following warning of Jesus is aimed at the most religious and actively busy believers in the church. And I quote from Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice, friends, that it's precisely the people who were most actively engaged in ministry 
They were teaching, prophesying. They were caring for the oppressed by driving out demons. They were drawing the megachurch-sized crowds by performing many great wonders. But it was those very people who somehow never entered into a real-life conversation with Jesus. They knew all about him and his work, but they didn't ever really get to know him as an apprentice and disciple. Now, a pastor who preaches or blogs about these particular words of Jesus might be written off as a Bible-banging fundamentalist, or maybe a well-balanced pastor just having a bad day. You can call him intense, extreme, or radical in his devotion if you want. I simply call it taking Jesus' most basic teachings at face value and assuming they still apply to us today. If you want more of Jesus and a deeper walk of faith, uh, here's my invitation. Take this new year. Choose one of the four Gospels. Read through it slowly. Invite the Holy Spirit to guide your reading. Again, the Holy Spirit and the Bible are designed to lead you to a real interactive encounter with Jesus himself. As you read that Gospel day after day, Let your imagination bring you into the action of the story and place yourself among the other characters in the narrative. Walk with Jesus. Sit among the other disciples. Listen to his teachings. Watch him move and interact with others. Take it all in slowly, reflectively. Then, now the most dangerous part, Now assume that everything Jesus is saying to the disciples and would-be followers, then he's still saying to us today. Hear his summons. Drop whatever proverbial nets that may be competing for your time, allegiance, and affection. And then follow him and obey him. Warning. Over time, this story and the life-transforming influence of Jesus at the center of it, it might begin to trans... It will begin to transform you into a radically basic and extremely ordinary disciple of Jesus in a radically watered-down church age. People will think you're radical, but... You're actually just taking Jesus seriously for maybe the first time in your life. Well, friends, there's a reflection on the lawnmower. It still applies to those behind the snowblower as we begin a new year here. And may I invite you into that same challenge of reading through a gospel. Take his words to heart. Let him be your North Star. And let us get a bit radical and basic as we follow Jesus into 2022. The world is waiting for a Christianity worth paying attention to and a Jesus worth giving their life to. Amen? Thanks for listening today, and uh, we will see you next time. Grace and peace, friends.